name's Nicholas Kuna, and I'm going to be running a series of podcasts on brand strategy and digital marketing. If that wasn't exciting enough for you, you've got some of the best guests in the world who are going to tell us some of their wins, some of their biggest fails, and some tips and tricks they wish they knew when they started out on their journey. So if you're in marketing or sales or anything to do with communications, this is the podcast for you, and I look forward to having you join us. Come chat with Nicholas. He'll listen to you, then he'll laugh, and then he'll cry with you. It's all in a safe space for you to speak your truth. Oh, come and chat with Nick. <laughs> Shahara De Silva, what a pleasant surprise, and thank you for making time to to chat to me tonight. I know it's quite late uh, where you are. So, where in the world are you right now? I'm in Australia, of all places. It's lovely to connect okay. after all these years. It is, yes. And I, I think we first connected in, uh, in Sri Lanka, which is your country of uh, origin. Yes, it is, and, very much uh, so. And a country I love very much, but has been going through a bit of a, a tumultuous uh, time at the moment. So uh, <laughs> ah, I'm yes. very happy to be in yes, Australia. Yes, it seems to be a sort of perpetual condition, at least for the last, since independence almost. Yeah. So quite tough, and, and you've worked with a, a whole raft of, of companies in Sri Lanka, and, I'm, and I think you're a board member on a, on a couple of uh, organizations. But one of the, the uh, boards that you were on that really excites me was the Arthur C. Clarke board. I'm sure that was a, a little while ago, but he's, uh, I, I enjoy his books, but he was a bit of a naughty fellow if, I, if I've, read my, <laughs> if I've uh, read my history. But he had a very strong relationship um, uh, with Sri Lanka, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was a wonderful man, and I think he, he saw a lot of the future. He predicted satellites, and uh, uh, he had a great vision for the future. I'm not too sure he was that naughty, you know. I mean, at the end of it, it was his sexuality, but um, yeah, uh, which is not considered uh, that naughty these days. Um, no, I'm sure, but I think it, at the time he might have uh, had a little bit of pressure. But yes, fantastic, fantastic uh, visionary. And I'm, I'm watching a program on uh, uh, Apple at the moment, which is uh, Foundations, right. which is uh, one of one of the uh, short stories that he wrote, which has been turned into serialized. Um, Shahara, I think it might be good to get a quick overview of who is Shahara and a little bit a little bit of your background because you've done so much and I'm I'm a big fan a big fan of yours um, and we've had a couple of intersections uh, in our life in terms of works that I've worked at the largest HIV uh, prevention organization in SA you've you work quite uh, have done quite a lot of work in HIV we were both managing directors at Interbrand uh, and uh, have a, a very strong or big um, branding background but can you go into a little bit of your background, sort of what, how did that turn you into Shahara of today and what are the exciting things that you're working on now and what is taking you to not Tashkent, you're going to Samarkand, which <laughs> most people haven't heard of and I'm super excited and super jealous. So please, uh, just a bit of a, a life story if you don't mind. So I think I must be some kind of a gypsy in many ways because even at the grand old age of 64, which I am now, uh, I still seem to be uh, in a continuous state of flux. I think I have so many different interests uh, that I could 
you know, write my CV many which ways uh, in terms of my interests and my experience. But to give you a kind of a short snapshot of it, I sort of worked my way through university doing a bit of journalism and broadcasting and I was almost full-time full on broadcasting. I produced feature programs and all for the local radio station in Sri Lanka and I did a degree in archaeology. Uh, so the media, that sort of thing which I began uh, just because I needed some money to take me through university because I had lost my parents. Uh, Oscar Wilde would say it's careless to lose both parents, but yeah, I, I did. <laughs> By the time I was 19, I had both my mum and dad had passed on. My mum was someone from the media. She was an advertising journalist, very, very talented woman. Uh, as was my dad. He was an intellectual and a national chess player and stuff like that. So having had that kind of intellectual background, I sort of just wandered off into university, uh, but decided to be a maverick and did archaeology and philosophy uh, as a student of one, really, because... Uh, I found some clause in our constitution that allowed me to do it in English, uh, okay. which uh, is not my technically not my native language, but I would say it is my mother tongue because it's the language I, I think in, and uh, speak in really as did my parents. Uh, anyway, to move on, I then got into advertising somehow, which again I suppose it was in my blood because mum had been doing that. Mm. as I left university uh, and I was also doing a master's in archaeology but then being a bit idealistic I was upset with some of the work that UNESCO was doing towards uh, cultural heritage conservation and I felt that there were uh, things that were being done really with the archaeology department which I wasn't comfortable with. I felt they were destroying certain aspects of our past and so I, I went into the rat race. And uh, okay. there I began a career very much in, in marketing, branding, advertising, that sort of thing. Uh, and I did that for, uh, well, I, I had quite a, quite a good career path in the sense I sort of ended up, by, well, by the time I was 29, running uh, Fonterra's uh, Milk Food as marketing director and possibly the youngest woman or youngest marketing director at that time in a multinational in Sri Lanka, be it a man or yeah. a woman. And then we went off, my husband and I, by this time I'd married, and we went off to Malaysia. And I thought I'd go to film school and do that kind of stuff uh, and, and to be a mother because I had a baby. But along the way, I, um, I got bored pretty fast, uh, literally before the six months of maternity leave was and I wanted to yeah. get back into the rat race. And I got a leg up initially, actually, through my husband, who suggested to his ad agency, you know, I think my wife is more intelligent than me. Can you just try and find her something to keep her <laughs> occupied and out of my hair? Uh, so anyway, I ended up with DDB Needham and that group, the local agency. And then by the time, five years on, when we were moving back uh, to Sri Lanka, I got a really good break because I think I had done very well in my career. Frankly, when I first was asked in Malaysia to be an account director or head of planning or, or do some work in planning, 
I had to reach out to one of my friends and say, can you send me a G JD? I'm not too sure what this is all about. Yeah. But by the time I had left, I think because we won uh, regional, Malaysia's first regional accounts for Mobil, Mobil, the oil and company. We had won Hasbro okay. and Cadbury Shrips. And so we were, were on a winning wicket in terms of pitching and winning most of our pitches. Uh, and I was leading strategy. And we also won the Tourism Malaysia account, which turned out to be very successful and has gone into a lot yeah. of, you know, it's it's considered a classic. As I think was the rewriting of Hasbro's playbook for Play-Doh. Okay. Um, and then I came back and... Um, Many years later, about five, six years later, I um, I had another sort of roadblock in my life where my husband fell seriously ill and I needed to get out and earn a little more money to put the kids through college and stuff like that. So I reached out to the same group and they said, well, if you want, we'll give you two weeks, come back and we'll give you a PR company to run. It was again wow. one of those issues where I said, I'm not too sure I know anything about PR, barely know how to spell it, and they said, I'm sure you'll wing it, come along. <laughs> and it turned out to be another very successful run. We, we did some very interesting work with saving the, uh, uh, trying to save the rhino in Sarawak, and uh, we did a lot of political work. I did the mice and medical tourism for Malaysia. Malaysia subsequently, after my time, but it ended up being number one, I think, in the whole region when they were nowhere in play. So some of those are considered successes. And then Volkswagen came yeah. in and we were handling that, as you know, which is one of those lovely, uh, lovely accounts to handle, fun accounts. Yeah. And then Interbrand was coming into Malaysia and they connected up with DDB and, uh, well, I was asked to run the initial thing. Uh, and I ran it for just over a year or so. Uh, we were again chosen as number one in strategy in Malaysia by the time I left. So by this time I was doing sort of group strategy for Rap Collins, for the uh, for DDBPR and the, the advertising, uh, which was then called Naga DDB. Plus they were in publishing and various things like that. So I was group strategy head. Uh, and uh, I'd moved on to doing to brand, but um, I just did it for a little over a year and I moved on. Mm. And uh, eventually I came back. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to help my country, which needed some help. Uh, so I, I uh, did a sort of different change in my career. And I went into government to try and help the Board of Investment restructure. Uh, there, was, there was some hope at that time. Uh, the war was still going on. We had a, we've had a sort of 30-year war. Uh, but we were really trying to try and build peace. And we were also trying to, because there was a transitional moment where there was a peace treaty and stuff like that. So I did that on a two-year contract. I, I went into banking and I got more into sort of, you know, on the marketing end of it rather than the communication end. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after that, I set, set up my own, own business and I started doing, uh, increasingly I wanted to work more into sort of social impact and stuff like that. 
So I started doing development consultancy and I did various consultancies there. Uh, so that's where the kind of mixed experience comes in, having worked uh, both in the marketing end, in the advertising and communication end, and then I've done a full circle to use some of those skills for behavior change communication. Mm. So that's when there was more of the, you know, working with the, uh, right across the Commonwealth with HIV. And um, right now I'm, um, I'm sitting on various boards, about nine of them. Uh-huh. Three, of, three of them at least uh, are in the, uh, what do you call it, uh, sort of social impact areas. One's in reconciliation and, and peacemaking. The others uh, was in environment, and the third is microfinance, which is also looking now at regenerative agriculture and 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 has a unique model. It's one of the one of the most interesting models, owned by a charity, pro poor, but running a, a commercial enterprise as a microfinance institute. So, I, as you can see, I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, is that all? Well, this is why, again, we, we haven't chatted in a while, but it's uh, when I was just, again, reading through your bio and the, and the type of work that you're doing, it's, it's uh, so exciting. And, and um, I, th- I think the, the impact that you've had through these various organizations will, will be felt, um, will be felt um, over the years and hopefully far into the future. But it must be very frustrating having great ideas um, and them not being implemented well. So I think maybe we can, we can chat a little bit about um, dealing with frustration in okay. terms of, uh, because marketing and communications often are put as a plaster over bad, bad uh, planning or, or, or bad, um, bad strategy. And one of the, the challenges we as marketers have is that it's seen as a, a, a panacea or a, a, a cure-all. Uh, just we'll just do some PR, we'll just do some marketing, but the the actual organisation isn't structured to really deliver what it to deliver what it's done. Um, so I think that's that's a, str- a, a common struggle for for marketers where we've got great ideas, we can make things work, we've got great concepts, but uh, the people involved or the 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 structures aren't set up for success. Um, so I think I think that's that's typically a challenge uh, that that we would face. But in in the the the, the current work that you're doing now, because uh, you're traveling you're traveling quite a bit, uh, I think over the over the next month. Um, what are some of the exciting things? Not keeping up at night, but waking you up in the morning. So what is, what is what is um, giving you joy in the morning when you wake up at the at the moment now? <laughs> Well, right now, like I'm sort of semi-retired in some ways, or I keep telling myself that my kids would laugh and say, "Well, we don't necessarily notice that," but I am. So I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to do systems change more and more because you're right. The frustration of implementation has always been there, and as an anecdote, because we are still talking as communication people. Maybe I should tell you when I uh, when I left Malaysia the first time, uh, because of some of the way I I handled my strategy component, there was there was a, 
I sort of insisted on being the, the head of client servicing for the critical accounts because I wanted to sell it through. I feel sometimes you get lost in translation in these structures, right? Mm. So there was a deep dependence on the strategy person with the client because it's important to have that trust. So by the time I wanted to leave, they kept me on payroll. Uh, at what, what then was very interesting, I was on a nice dollar pay living out in Sri Lanka at a much lower cost of living. Yeah. And actually with no brief other than to be available for the odd call. That was fine initially, but then I think my sense of, which has always been there, that you know you can end up being, dare I say, an absolute bullshitter in this game if you want to be, yeah. or you really believe and you're passionate about trying to make a difference in, in whatever you're doing, building brands or, or creating new markets. So I actually reached out finally and said, you know what, I, I can't handle this deal anymore. Let's keep the fact that I am leaving on a high. And if I ever need, I'll try and contact you again. But please, you've been very generous with me, but I must bail out of this way. You just keep me on payroll. I send you documents occasionally and someone else sells it through. Because I felt I would lose my credibility. Yeah. Because, you know, things get lost in translation and that's where a dog becomes a camel or something else, right? By the time <laughs> clients and other interface, you know, people, client servicing, they agree on yeah. various modifications which can take the soul out of an idea or the legs out of it. Because ideas are one thing, but if it's not kind of campaignable and it doesn't have the legs to, to walk through uh, into the different customer touch points and the different interfaces in a customer journey, mm. it's problematic. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm doing now increasingly is really, so I did do, <laughs> did a very interesting document, which is a playbook on, um, on reconciliation for media for the, uh, the outgoing, but now he's back again as, as prime minister, the prime minister and the president to try and handle reconciliation and messaging both with the citizens and the media, but actually mm. to try and build, build confidence with uh, particularly, so Sri Lanka had an ethnic war where the Sinhalese and Tamils were, you know, and, were there, and it was a majoritarian singular regime, uh, and the Tamils didn't feel secure. Yeah. So there needed to be proper messaging and a whole transitional justice uh, uh, you know, strategy in terms of reconciliation and memory and, and perhaps even reparation. Yeah. Uh, but these guys, again, just didn't understand. They really didn't know why they had to be on the same sort of songbook. Um, so it's been frustrating, but I know lots of younger people and a lot of people in the system have taken bits and pieces of it, which is good. You know, these things are there to be copied and plagiarized yeah. and taken any old way. So that helps, but... The problem with behavior change communication quite often is it's a long haul because you're trying to make, you know, shift cultures, attitudes, ingrained beliefs, prejudice. It's not easy, but it's something I'm now quite passionate about. Use, you know, use many, many, many emotives as possible and get back into, you know, understanding the cultural nuances at a deep level. So this yeah. is going way beyond 30-second ads and, if you know, if you few placements and hoardings and that sort of thing, it's yeah. much more immersive.
Well, you know, if you've looked at the news in South Africa at the moment, we are, we're going through a bit of a, a transition phase as well. So I think perhaps that playbook should be uh, uh, circulated in, in South Africa as well, because very similar sort of um, uh, setup as, uh, as, as Sri Lanka. Civil war, you know, the border war for 30 years, etc. And the two, you know, the, the majority uh, was oppressed, and then you've got the uh, sort of... Um, you had the apartheid government, and there's still some festering wounds, things that haven't been communicated, and then obviously new players trying to take advantage of uh, mass unemployment and uh, poor government um, uh, poor government management. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate. It's, uh, it's a recurring theme throughout history as well. And, uh, yeah, I think documents like yours are, are quite important to sort of um, set the, the structures and hopefully, and again, it's, it's a time-based thing. It takes time. It's not an overnight process. Um, yeah. And, yeah, very frustrating. So, but on, on, on that point then, because this can take us back to the marketing discussion, um, with AI and all of this new exciting technology that's coming out, graphic designers, copywriters are almost um, are, are worried about their roles. And I think advertising agencies as well and brand agencies are also worrying about where their next paycheck's coming from. And your discussion on strategy, the importance of the strategic role, I think is where ad agencies, brand agencies, digital agencies um, will need to focus their attention on in, on in, in the future. The content-wise, creating pretty pictures, creating... Um, uh, messaging that targets the, your audience, I think it can be done automatically now, basically. But the strategy in terms of tying it to business objectives, in terms of societal um, objectives and, um, and so on, is where the strategist comes in. And I think your, the, all of the large agencies I've been at, it's, it's very funny that you said you studied um, uh, archaeology because they typically get philosophy and archaeology um, graduates because they think differently um, and have a very broad perspective. So I think that's where the arts are still useful and um, how that move from archaeology and, uh, and uh, philosophy. Uh, it's a natural segue into strategy because you have this, this big picture view and can remove it from sort of the petty day-to-day uh, thinking that, that people have. So strategists, I think, still have a, a tremendous role in agencies and should be, um, and I think that is a role in the future that um, is not going to disappear anytime soon. Mm. I, I agree, I agree, but I think where, where the, the displacement is not so much the chat GPTs and all, maybe, yeah, so some of the copy people and, you know, there the, 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 the will be sometimes a computer can, that can generate responses or, you know, the, the kind of call center stuff that's going on or, you know, letter writing and handling and all will be kind of, yeah. a lot of it will be templated and done. Where I think strategists themselves or, or anyone in the ad business has to be much more aware is of how data and technology informs. Somewhere along my way, I got pretty interested in technology too, and I've been helping a lot of fairly large startups, and one of them was a company called Emojot. 
which was one of the, it's the first company in the world that started to, uh, it's Sri Lankan owned but Silicon Valley based, that uh, decided to not look at, uh, you know, usually it's IBM, Watson, it was language kind of things that work on search and that sort of thing, right? Mm. Uh, but you, they started looking at emojis as, as because they found that both Facebook, Twitter, people were saying that these interaction is, people will respond more with, you know, with, a, with some kind of an emoji, mm. picture gun, but using that to kind of get real-time geolocated, even global responses on, on stuff. And it had the capacity, like Facebook, almost to have a timeline memory of all your responses and aggregate and find at a big data level, anonymize, but it could aggregate. So it'll know that Nicholas is, you know, he has, uh, I don't know, he likes red meat, but he might at the same time like this particular type of music and he like this. And it comes into a very almost personalized, but also it profiles you in terms of just trying to figure out within your age and your sex and your location and various things of your your journey, everyday journey. So it doesn't know you as Nicholas, perhaps, but it knows a lot about you. And that's mm. how they handle some of the data privacy issues. But then they're able to really get to a level at with, on your customer journey and know that aperture moment, you know, what might be the way they have to message it to you as opposed yeah. to me or somebody else. And some of this becomes much more customized and it may not be a one-size-fit-all kind of mass thing that people like us at one time were trying to move, you know, into our, you know, different markets sometimes, nuanced a bit, but not to this level. Yeah. And I think we have to, to grapple with these sort of things that uh, you can't necessarily do big campaigns. But there are things that override. So you, you have to find those things that have meaning across cultures and demographics yeah. and things like that. And it could be sports or it could be, it could be a Barbie movie or whatever it mm, is. Mm. Some of them are age-old tricks, but whichever way, you have to find ways in which you can get under people's skin uh, at the right timing. Yeah, well, I think the, uh, and if I th think back to it, and I, that's the last time we met, I think, is when you were running that or working with them closely in Sri Lanka. And it's, it's about semiotics, so it's signs and, yes, uh, and meaning. And the, I think the, the growth in semiotics, I had a chat with a wonderful um, uh, uh, um, uh, founder of a semiotics company. And I think in this age of AI where all of the basic communications, written communications and sort of um, uh, is quite templatized, like you say. I think the understanding of semiotics is going to is going to play an increasing role and be a way that um, we can again personalize those experiences or, or or not have AI involved as as much because the the meanings in in images and words and, and things like that beyond what a machine can have a look at um, is what sort of makes us. Um, more useful or, or more creative than than computers. So I think that would be a, a separate discussion on semiotics and how useful that that could be, <laughs> and, and and how we can keep some jobs. But I think a lot of these jobs, um, 
I, I will, my, my classes start again um, at the end of this month and I'm going to be talking to my students about um, the impact that AI is going to have on their roles. And don't worry about your job. We've got to understand systems, structures and uh, lifelong learning. So if I think about uh, uh, in my gr great-grandfather who was actually a, uh, in advertising as well, they had sign writers, so they had to, and they did a sign, it was a painted sign. Um, that job is no longer around. Uh, we can print it out on canvas, so you can do it on, on Photoshop, etc., and, and, and print it out. So you don't have to have a technician who knows how to paint a straight line and get the paint correct and so on. So the same thing with certain types of copywriting and graphic design now. That is a skill that is no longer necessary. You don't need to be able to draw a straight line. Ask the computer to draw a straight line. <laughs> it allows us to do more interesting, more useful um, things. And, and that's my hope, is that this will just take away. Um, uh, we, we need to you know, keep moving forward. And I think we need to take advantage of the, this, the new technologies that um, uh, uh, confront us and uh, get the best value out of them. Shahara, we could talk all night and all day, and there are tons of subjects we can, um, we can, uh, we can dis discuss. But I think for a, a first shot, this is quite good. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll probably have a chat a little bit later in terms of uh, I need to see photographs of uh, Samarkand and, uh, <laughs> some, and, and understand more some certainly, of the work. More certainly, yeah. doing Kyrgyzstan too. Supposed oh, yes. to have the most phenomenal Islamic architecture, right? In, in yeah. So I'll so come and tell you all route. about it and the Silk Route that I'm going to travel. <laughs> awesome. Very exciting. Take care. Thank Good you luck. so much. Bye. 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 Mmm, come chat with Nicholas. He'll listen to you. Then he'll laugh and then he'll cry with you. It's all in a safe space for you to speak your truth.